John 10, 7. Then said Jesus unto them again, Verily, verily, I say unto you, I am the door of the sheep. All that ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. Notice, please, he didn't say, I am a door. He said, I am the door. I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved, shall go in and out and find pasture. By me, if any man, any man, that leaves no one out. Aren't you glad today that the gospel of Jesus Christ doesn't leave any one out? Verse 10, the thief cometh not, but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come that they might have life and they might have it more abundantly. The thief comes. He's not just content with to, to steal. He's not even content just to steal and kill. He will steal kill and destroy it's a given that is the outcome when you welcome the thief into your life I want to preach to you for a few minutes this morning on this subject it's a sin issue it's a sin issue Issue. God, thank you for the opportunity to join together again today and once again in abnormal circumstances, but I'm thankful that in the midst of whatever the circumstances may be, you remain the same. You are the same inside, you're the same outside, you're the same at our home, you're the same at our job, wherever we are, you're the same. And I, I thank you for being an unchanging God. I pray, God, that you would continue today to minister, to speak to our hearts and our lives. I pray that there would be some hearts here today that would be good ground for the seed of your word, that it might produce in their lives what you intend for it to produce. In the name of Jesus Christ, I trust you and depend on you today, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. I know the word sin is not an unfamiliar word to anybody here today. Let me just remind you of the definition of the word sin and the definition based on the scriptural definition, the Greek definition, not Webster's definition, not just the secular uh, dictionary, but according to the, the biblical definition of the word First of all, the word sin means to miss the mark. It is failing to hit the mark. And then it means a sinning, whether it occurs by omission or commission, in thought and feeling or in speech and action. That which is done wrong, committed or resultant sin, an offense, a violation, of the divine law in thought or in act. That second definition again, a sinning whether it occurs by omission or commission. I believe that most of the time when we think of sin, 
We think of sin in the context of the things that we do that we should not do. In fact, I think if you probably were to just ask somebody randomly or just for all, what off the top of your head, give me some examples of sin. I, I would be very surprised if the first couple of examples were not things that you do that you should not do. But that is only one part of sin. That's the word commission. Sins of commission are things that you and I do that according to Scripture we knew we should not do. But there is another side of sin that is just as much sin as doing the things we should not do. And that is the sins of omission. That is when we don't do things that we should do. Both of those are sins. Again, I think sometimes from a biblical, or not a biblical, from a from a from our personal perspective, we we don't really put sins of omission in the same category. But according to the true definition of sin, sin is not just lying, sin is not just stealing, sin is not just cheating. That's not the only part of sin. The scripture says to those that know to do good and don't do it, it is sin. When's the last time you got to the end of the day and recognize, you know what, I never really fellowshiped with God today. I, I never really spent some time in prayer today. When's the last time you did that and before you laid down you said, God, forgive me. Well, wait a minute, brother. I didn't. I didn't lie today. I didn't. I didn't. No. If you and I know to do good, and we don't do it, that is just as much sin as all the other. Just as much, and that's why it's important. And this isn't the real focus, but as the foundation here this morning, that's why it's important for us of those of you here today that are a, a disciple of Jesus Christ to remember there's two parts to sin and it's not just those out there doing what they should not do but you and I are just as capable of sinning as believers so I, I'm here to declare to you today from a biblical perspective I got a question. If you want to give an outward response, that's okay. That's not really what I'm looking for in this question. I really want a more honest, truthful answer of your heart. But I wonder how many of us today can say that we truly esteem the Word of God above any other opinion, above any other source in the world today. The Word of God is the final authority. On any topic, on any issue, on any matter, it is the Word of God that is the final say. I can tell you today there is an attitude and a spirit that has crept in and is trying to get even further in the church that takes away from the Word of God being the final authority. That everything else is inferior to what the Word of God says. But I declare to you today the only source of truth 
The only foundation of truth is the Word of God. And anything that contradicts the Word of God automatically is the wrong thing. It's never the Word that might be wrong. It's a sin issue. I hope, especially if you're a part of this church, I hope nothing I say in the next moment or two here makes you mad. But if it if it does... Keep it to yourself because you're revealing something you probably don't want to reveal. It's not a racial issue in our world today. It's a sin issue. It's not a Republican-Democrat issue in our world today. It's a sin issue. Whatever the issue is, it's a sin issue. It's not the fault of the Second Amendment and those that own guns. It's a sin issue. The bottom line, if everybody would just obey the Word of God, guns wouldn't be the issue. But the problem is the world, and again, I declare to you today, it's not only the world, but it's also now in the church that we don't call sin, sin. We don't label sin, sin. We call it a disease. We call it an alternative lifestyle. We come up with synonyms to cloak what is sin because it makes it more palatable. And we don't want to declare the eternal Word of God that never changes. And the reason our world is such a mess and the reason the church is a mess is because we want to water everything down and call it something else because we don't want to deal with the real issue and we don't want to offend anybody. But I declare to this congregation today, it's a sin issue. And the only hope for a sin issue is to Deal with it at the cross. It's not the... Oh, Lord. I realize more and more why God doesn't give me stuff in advance because I probably would make up my mind in advance to eliminate it. So here it comes and I just got to do it. Protests aren't going to solve one single thing. Oh, boy, here we go. Taking a knee for the national anthem is not going to solve one thing. You can't solve with a protest. You can't solve with any kind of demonstration what is a sin issue. If everybody would just go back to the source of the problem and deal with the source of the problem, we'd find there's a whole lot of things that wouldn't be an issue anymore. We're not here today, various colors, various nationalities, because we sat around a table planning to be that. We're here because you and I started at the cross, and some of us came with some issues. Some of us came to God with prejudice and discrimination in our hearts, but we took a knee at the cross. Oh, my Lord. You... Oh, I can't. Brother Hemus, why did you not preach today? Oh, God. You want to you wanna take a knee somewhere, take it at the cross. Because the problem is not only will it solve other problems, it'll start by solving yours. Don't be talking about the speck in your brother's eye when you've got a beam in your own eye that everybody's having to dodge. You deal with the beam in your own eye and watch God take care of the speck in everybody else's. It's a sin issue. We wonder why the decay of society? Because the thief comes to steal. Kill and destroy. 
I was thinking about it on my drive here this morning, which is only about 10 minutes, so that's not a lot of time to think. But I was thinking about it. It, it, it was only a couple of decades ago when Sunday was considered to be a sacred day by our country. You didn't play Little League on Sunday. The mall wasn't open on Sunday. It was all these up because even if you didn't go to church, you acknowledged it as a day that belonged to the Lord. I'm not here about the, I'm just about the Sabbath. and I'm just talking about from a cultural perspective. And now... A couple times it was an issue for my boys to play ball because games would be on Sunday. I'm sorry, Sunday doesn't belong to me. Show me that in the Bible. I'm not saying it doesn't belong to me from the Bible. I'm saying I've decided. As for me and my house, Sunday is first and foremost going to belong to the Lord. All the other days belong to Him as well. But let's acknowledge the fact that many of us have responsibilities and duties all the other days that we don't have a choice but to do. You got a choice. Most of you got a choice what happens on a Sunday. So now we've watched the creeping in of society on Sunday, and, and then we've watched churches go more and more to less and less on Sunday, and the enemy's going, I'm stealing. You don't know it, but I'm stealing. Anybody ever had something stolen from you? Physically stolen. Got a question. A person walk up to you and say, hey, just want you to know I'm about to steal this. No. What does he do? Sneaks in. And usually before you know it, he sneaks out. And you don't realize until it's too late you've been stolen from. You don't realize until after the fact the thief has stolen from you. But again, he is not content to just steal. He's not intent, his, his goal is not just to steal your worship. His goal is not to just steal your prayer life. His goal is not to just take away your ministry. His goal is to kill it. He wants it to be non-existent. But that's also not good enough. He wants there to be no evidence, no trace of what existed. Because that's what the thief comes to do. Isaiah chapter 5 and verse number 20. Woe unto them. That call evil good and good evil. That put darkness for light and light for darkness. That put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe to them. Do I have to give any examples? Do, is there anybody that can't come up with your own examples of things in our world today where we now call good what is evil and we call evil good? We now look at those things that according to the word of God are evil and we now make them acceptable. I'll go a step further. We now look at things that the Bible calls evil and we pass laws making them okay. 
And the church supports some of those laws. Woe unto them that call good evil and evil. You know why? Because when you open that door, you become more and more comfortable with allowing things in. You become more and more comfortable with things that should not be in your life being a part of your life. The other problem is the the enemy knows if I can get you to mislabel the problem, then you're not going to properly diagnose the solution. If I can get you to call it something different than what it is and make it more palatable, then you're never going to address the root of it. Therefore, you're not going to change. And I'm going to steal, but then I'm going to kill. and Then I'm going to destroy guaranteed Romans 1 verse number 18 I want you I'm going to read for a few moments and I know you don't have it on the screen to follow you got it on a device or at least do the best you can to follow along but I'm going to read a couple of verses because I I just I said it in the beginning the word of God is not only the final authority but guess what the word of God has an explanation for everything Romans 1.18, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God hath showed it unto them. For the invisible things of Him from creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even the eternal power of the and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. That's saying, you can look around you in nature, you can look around you in creation, and it is a living witness and testimony of the things of God. Because that when they knew, here, here, you want to know why we are where we are today? You want to know why we're at a point now where as a country that was built upon a foundation of trust in God has now become what it is? Here is why. Because that when they knew God, they glorified Him not as God. Neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. The world calls us foolish and wants us to think they're wise. But the Word of God says the world is foolish and those that believe the Word of God are the wise ones. And change the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like unto corruptible men and to birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. Wherefore God, because of this, because they prove to God, leave me alone. I want to do my own thing. I want to live my own way. Don't bother me. God finally says, you know what? I'm not going to bother you anymore. Not going to bother you. Want to do, that's what you want to do. Have at it. And I'm going to turn off the voice of your conscience. We think the more we sin and the quiet our conscience gets, that's because we are suddenly discovering, you know what? This really wasn't wrong. Really wasn't bad. No, what you're misunderstanding is your conscience is getting quieter and quieter, quieter. The voice of conviction is getting quieter and quieter. And you can reach the point where you can do whatever you want to do and God is not going to give you the least bit of conviction. 
And so now here we are, and we see things going on in our society today that 15, 20 years ago, some things less than that, we would have never dreamed them happening. But now not only do they happen, we celebrate them. We celebrate them. We give awards for them. Read, I'm not, I was going to read the rest of this chapter. I'm going to skip it for the sake of time, but read the, read the rest of it at some point. Especially in another translation. Read some of the things. Forget I, probably the message Bible. I think it's the last verse of this chapter. It talks about, it says they give awards. They give awards to those that are the vilest. They give the, they give awards to those that are the, un, un, the ungodliest. And we celebrate it. We give them the adoration that ought to be given first and foremost to Jesus Christ. Listen to what Ezekiel says in chapter 18, verse 20. The soul that sinneth, it shall die. The soul that sinneth, it shall die. Paul says something similar in principle, but in a little different way. And many of you could quote this verse, Romans 6, 23. For the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life. The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life. Guaranteed. If you got sin and you don't deal with it the proper way, there is only one solution. Death. Is it any wonder that the enemy has tried to creep into the church and get us to eliminate the cross? Stay away from the cross. Don't preach about the cross. Don't talk about the cross. Just put it on your neck. Just wear it around your neck as some kind. The cross is not about a symbol. The cross is about an experience. First and foremost, the experience 2,000 years ago when it took place. But it's now about an experience for you and I because salvation can't start anywhere else but the cross. Because the cross is the only solution to the problem of sin. Wages of sin is death. There, there's not a person, I know some of you aren't into planting and growing, whether that's grass or vegetables or whatever, but even if you don't, you're aware of this. But to those of you that plant stuff, we got a couple of folks that grow gardens every year and, and a couple of us that try to have a lawn for a nice, nice lawn for two or three months out of the whole year. And um, But no one ever, no one ever puts a seed in the ground that you purchased, that you know what it is, And sit back in anticipation. I wonder what the fruit is going to be. I'm going to plant this tomato seed, but you know what? I I might get some cucumbers. I'm going to plant this tomato seed, but you know what? Maybe I'll end up with some corn. No. You plant corn, you get corn. You plant an apple seed, you get an apple tree. Why do we think we can sow sin and reap something different? 
Why do you think you can sow sin and you might be the lucky one that the, that the harvest you reap is something different? The wages of sin is death. The thief comes to kill, steal, kill, and destroy. Romans 8, verse 7. The carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. The Living Bible says that this way, because the old sinful nature within us is against God, it never did obey God's laws and it never will. That's why those who are still under the control of their own sinful selves, bent on following their old evil desires, can never please God. Never please God. The carnal mind, your natural man is an enemy of God. Oh, not me, preacher. I'm a good guy. I don't know you're not. Jesus took care of that. There's none good, not one. Your human nature is an enemy against God. You know why some of you are so miserable all the time? Because you're trying to have enemies cohabitate. You're trying to let enemies live together. And you might be okay with that, but the enemies aren't okay with that. Because the two enemies you're letting live there, both of them are not content to have a part of you. Both of them want all of you. The enemy wants you to, wants to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus wants you to take up your cross and follow him. And so neither one of them are ever going to sit back and say, well, I got 20% share of ownership, I'm okay. Timothy, I don't know, the last year or two at least, I think, has gotten into being a uh, a uh, stock investor. And he, he's got some shares in some companies, like one, two, three shares. Well, I have ownership. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How much are they paying attention to you? How much are they taking your advice when you have 2%, 5 5%, 20% ownership? No, not much. You think that God or the devil is going to be content to sit on your board of directors? Uh. See, some of you are okay as long as you're the chairman of the board. Let God and the devil sit on your board. You let you let God and the devil have equal input, and then you decide. <laughs> it's not the way it works, folks. Of course, the difference between God and the devil is when you haven't given God full ownership, he, he reminds you of that. The devil is content to have partial ownership with you thinking he has none because he's working his way in more and more and knows eventually he's going to steal, kill, 
and destroy. James 1.14 says this, But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. If you ever use this statement, please, as of today, I challenge you, encourage you, eliminate it from your vocabulary. The devil never made you do one thing. The devil never made you do one thing. Never. Never. I don't agree with that. Let me ask you a question. Can God make you do anything? Oh, I know he can affect your circumstances to try to get you to. But at the end of the day, God will not violate your will. If God, the ultimate authority, will not violate your will, don't tell me that an inferior to God can ever make you do something. Even the man that was possessed with thousands of devils came running to the feet of Jesus. Even he did. I must be doing some really good preaching because some of you must be constantly talking about what I'm preaching. So I'm surely you're not talking about other things most of this time that I'm preaching. James 1.14 But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. Listen to the Message Bible on that verse. Lust gets pregnant and has a baby. Sin. Sin grows up to adulthood and becomes a real killer. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Lust, when it hath conceived, brings forth sin. Sin brings forth death. Never a different outcome than that when sin is the influence. Never. Go to therapy all you want. If you don't deal with the sin issue, it's not going to get fixed. Go to all the counseling, and I'm not opposed to using those things because sometimes they can be very helpful. That's not what I'm saying. But you do all that you want to do, but never get to the sin issue. Not preaching to, oh my goodness. A couple of you out here, you, 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 oh, this isn't me because I'm, I'm not. I'll tell you what some of you are dealing with. You're dealing with unforgiveness. You're hanging on to a grudge to somebody because of what they've done, what they've said, how they've treated you. You are in sin. Because you know better, you're in sin. And the only thing, the only thing that can take away the blood of Jesus from your life is unforgiveness towards somebody else. Your continued mistakes don't take away the blood of Jesus. Your falling again and again doesn't take away the blood of Jesus. 
Your bad attitude doesn't take away the blood of Jesus. Your rebelliousness doesn't take away the blood of Jesus. But when you hold a grudge against somebody else and justify holding that grudge, the Lord says, okay, if you're not going to forgive, why should I forgive? And I don't know about you, but anything anyone's ever done to me does not compare to the things I've done to him. And if he's willing to forgive me of all of those things that I've done, what right do I have? So if you know to forgive and you don't, well, I'm just working through it. No, you're just sinning. Well, I'm I'm praying. What's there to pray about? What's there to pray about? If you're at the altar and you know your brother's got something against you, leave your don't. Oh God, should I, what do you mean? Should I go? I think sometimes we ask God stuff, and if we could physically see Him. We'd see him shaking his head. Sometimes we'd see him. Why are you asking something I already told you? Why are you? You think I'm going to change my mind? There's not one of us as kids and any kids nowadays. We've all experienced, you know, if I can ask several times or if I can ask a couple of different ways, I'll change your mind. No, I said no, I meant no, and that's the decision. I don't need you. To, I don't need to retell you to forgive. I don't need to retell you. I've already told you. I, 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 I know this. This is this is not heat bearing down on you and not comfortable out here. And then you come for a message like this. But you see, brother, you're being awful harsh. You're being awful heavy about sin. Yes. Because I'm not done preaching. And unless you get some kind of an understanding and respect for sin and what sin is and can do, you can't fully appreciate the cross. Why is it that so many people can take or just... Take it or leave it when it comes to God because they don't recognize the sinfulness of their nature and therefore they don't appreciate the gift that He offers. 1 Corinthians 6, verse number 9, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. Is there anybody here, I won't ask you which ones, but is there anybody here that one of those things on this list you've done? You don't have to raise your hand. We got some fornicators here. You lived in fornication before you got married. You've got some adulterers here. We've got some abusers in themselves with mankind. We've got some. They're probably not a person in here. At some point, you haven't had some covetousness. And according to this, those cannot inherit the kingdom of God. That's why. One of the reasons why the world's concept is so flawed. Because the world says once you are something, you are always that. Oh, I wish I had somebody would help me just a little bit. 
once you did something and struggled with something, you are now always that thing. If you were an alcoholic, you are now simply a recovering alcoholic. Living, I, I, I've, been, I've talked to a couple of folks here and there that have, that have been through some of the programs for, for addictions and, 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 they, and they've, they've found, you know, they, they've come through and they've made progress and they, they, they've gone for years of sobriety and they celebrate that. But I, what I've also heard from many of them is, a, Brother, Brother Bennett, it seems to me there's a little nagging sense of fear. I may not have had a drink in 10 years, but I, I'm still worried I'm going to go back to that because that's what I was and I'm only recovering. And if that is the case, we might as well put our chairs away, take our canopies home, go grill some hamburgers and hot dogs, and let's just have a party because we are all disqualified. But oh, the next verse and such were some of you not not such are some of you recovering but such were some of you and the reason you were is because you have been washed you have been sanctified you have been justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the spirit of our God I'm not what I used to be anymore I'm not just recovering from what I used to be but I found the cross and at the cross my issue was dealt with the sin was dealt with and I am now a new creature in Christ Jesus old things have passed away and everything has become new somebody say become notice that verse did not say is new He didn't say, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. It says become. Isn't that, am, I, am I not right? I think it says become. Or maybe it said he is. I think it does say he is. My apologies. I'm still going to finish this point, though. The problem is, I don't know of a person. I need somebody to be a little bit honest here. Help me out. I'm not trying to put you on the spot, but. If you're here today and when you got saved, you were battling an addiction that you no longer have anymore, but it did not instantly go away when you got baptized and got the Holy Ghost. Would you raise your hand? Look look at that. There's a couple of hands up here. I'm going to say that again. They were addicted to something. They're not addicted anymore. But the moment they got saved, it did not instantly go away. Now I'll ask the other question. How many of you here had some addictions, and the day you got baptized or got the Holy Ghost, it went away and you never dealt with it again? thought there was more than that. Does that mean that one got the real deal and the other one didn't? No. Well, how is it that the... Paul says, if you're in Christ, you are a new creature. I don't think it does say become. I apologize. That's what happens when we start paraphrasing and saying it our own way. He is a new creature. Is. And yet a few of you, now let's go the rest. Let's take it another way. And if there's not a hand up, you are not listening or you are asleep. I'm going to tell you that in advance. How many of you, the day you got baptized, got the Holy Ghost, or one or two of those, I know some of you that happened at different times, but when you got saved, 
all the sin and struggles in your life just poof went away. How many of you kept struggling? How many of you kept sinning? How many of you are still sinning? Some of you are sleeping. Because I saw some hands that never moved. Yes. Why? I'll tell you why. Paul said it this way. God calls those things that are not as though they were. Oh, hallelujah. He calls those things that are not as though they were. What do you mean by that, Brother Wright? Brother, what do you mean by that, Brother Hurt? What do you mean by that? Here's what I mean. When you go through that process and deal with your sin according to the Word of God, God looks at the outcome. Oh, somebody hear me right now. Some of you tuned me out because you didn't like the first part of the message. You're going to miss the best part. God looks at the at His power and ability to work in your life with such certainty that even though you still have struggles, even though you may still have some addictions, even though you may still be dealing with some issues, God says, I'm going to look at what I'm going to make you, and I know that if you'll just let me do it, you will reach the point where old things have passed away and all things have become new. Can I tell somebody today, don't give up. Don't quit. Don't throw in the towel because you're still stumbling. God's not looking at you based on today. God's looking at you based on the outcome. The Bible says a righteous man falls seven times and he gets back up again. Rejoice not against me, O my enemy, because when I fall, I shall arise. It doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him. The power of the blood and the cross. Last verses. Romans 5, verse 12. Oh, listen, listen, listen. Again, if you didn't somehow, I know I know I didn't preach anything any of you don't already know. I know that. But if somehow your art, your mind, your spirit wasn't open to the beginning, then, then the last part is just not the same. It's not the same. As Whereas by one man, sin entered into the world. By one man, sin entered the world. And death by sin. Notice that. Death came because of sin. Death wasn't God's idea. Death wasn't God's original plan. But sin had to have wages. And the wages were death. And so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. All have sinned. All have a nature that is an enemy of God. All. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is now law, when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over them that had not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression, who is the figure of him that was to come. 
Now listen to this verse. But not as the offense, so also is the free gift. By one man, sin entered and death by sin, and all men now have to deal with death because of sin. So also is the free gift. For if through the offense of one, many be dead. And I don't want to take liberties with Scripture, but I think it could say it this way. If through the offense of one, all be dead. Much more, much more, much more. Much more, if the effects of one man's sin produce death on all, much more the grace of God and the gift by grace, which is by one man, Jesus Christ, hath abounded unto many. The thing that caused what we deal with, one man's sin, that produced death for the entire world, was the, 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 uh, the antidote for that was taken place took place by one man on a cross. Oh, the wages of sin. Oh, the wages of sin. But oh, the gift of God. Sin, there's no way, even with what I've read and preached, there's no way to truly describe and communicate How horrible sin is and the outcomes of sin. But the flip side is there is no way to truly communicate how great the gift is. How effective the solution is. The blood that Jesus shed. Oh, what's that next part say? For me. Way back on Calvary. The blood that gives me strength from day to day. It will never, it will never, there is no shelf life on the blood. There is no expiration day on the blood. There is no limited supply on the blood. I think it's the prophet Jeremiah in Lamentations, if I'm not mistaken, says what we now sing is a song, a little bit different take, but morning by morning, new mercy I see. The blood is fresh and new, available every day. Mercy is fresh and new every day. I don't have to try to ration God's mercy from yesterday. I don't have to ration God's blood from the past. Every single day there is a fresh and a new supply. But I've got to identify the issue and properly deal with the issue. And it all has to start with repentance. It all starts with repentance. That's why it's not good enough just to say, I accept the Lord as my personal Savior. Got to be repentance. Repentance, as most of you know, is not a one-time, one one single event. It's something that we ought to do every single day. 
I don't even know what to repent for. Then repent for thinking you don't have anything to repent for. <laughs> That's it's not about you see, you see, I I know, I know, I know I I've I've tried and I felt a burden to today. Because there's some of you, I hate to say it, but I think there's some of you sitting here right now that you have you have been influenced by the attitude. Well, that's you know, it's not really sin. That's just what the church thinks. That's what's what the preacher says. No. No, if it's the word of God and the word of God says it's sin, you call it whatever you want to call it, but really what it is is sin. But as was the offense, so also is the gift. But oh, the gift is not just equal to the offense. The gift is so much greater. The benefits of the gift are not just equal proportion to the wages of sin. Because he said it, I read it in the beginning. Jesus said, I've come. I've come. That you might have life. And that you might have it more abundantly. We sang it at the beginning. It hadn't been easy. It's not always easy in your walk with God. There are some times you got to stand flat on your feet, throw your head in the air and tell Him, I'm not going to take an easier way. I'm not going to take another route. And, and we go through seasons like that from time to time. And I think until Jesus comes, He's going to keep testing and trying us. But I wonder if I've also got anybody. You saying the way's been hard and the way's been rough this morning. But you can also say there's been a whole lot that's been a lot better than what I could have imagined. God's done a whole lot more in my life than I could ever dreamed of. I, I've got blessings in my life I could have never imagined. I've got things that God has done in and through my life that I could never anticipate it. Because yes, I've gotten life, but I've gotten it more abundantly. Would you stand, please? If you're here today and you have never properly dealt with sin in your life, this message today is not intended to be one of condemnation. Again, I, I know I, I know I preached some things passionately, and I'm not apologizing because, again, I do think there's an attitude and spirit in this world that the church needs to stand up against. But the intent is not to cause condemnation or hopelessness for you. The intent is to say, you know what? There's some serious penalties for your mistakes, but there's also some really great grace. And there is blood. No matter how deep the stain of your sin is, the blood is able. You know, if, if you've got a you've got a mark on the wall in your house, somebody scuffed it up or something, you can you can get out a can of paint and you can touch it up, and you don't see it anymore. In actuality, that stain is still there. It's still there. All you did was hide the stain. You didn't take care of the stain. The blood of Jesus is not touch-up paint. Oh, Jesus. 
said the blood of Jesus is not touch-up paint. The blood doesn't just hide the marks in your life, but they're still there. The blood is the greatest cleaner that's ever been invented. Because the blood takes away completely the mark, the stain, and it makes you completely new. That's the power. The blood that Jesus shed for me way back on Calvary Oh, the blood that gives me strength from day to day It will never lose its power. Oh, for it reaches to the highest mountain. And it flows to the lowest valley oh, oh it's the blood that gives me strength from day to day never lose its power oh it's soon my doubts and calms, my fears, and that same blood dries all my tears. Oh, the blood that gives me strength from day to day. It will never lose its power. Oh, far it reaches to the highest mountain. And it flows to the lowest Oh, oh, it's the blood that gives me strength from day to day. It will never lose. Oh, it will never lose. It will never lose. Father, I pray for every individual today. God, I pray first and foremost that in every one of our hearts and lives there would be a fresh awareness of the existence of sin in our world and also in our own lives. 
And that no matter what society, culture, politics, education tells us, your word is the final authority. I pray, God, that there would be a fresh conviction come upon us. A fresh awareness of our weaknesses and frailties. That not only is a sin in our life the things that we do that we shouldn't, but the things that we fail to do that we know you have instructed us. God, I not only pray that, I pray there would also be a fresh revelation of the power of your blood, of the power of the cross and the effectiveness of what happened because of your death, burial, and resurrection. Let there be renewed faith in every one of us, no matter what our failures have been, no matter what our sins have been, that your blood is greater than the effect of our sin. In the name of Jesus Christ, in Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Thank you for coming. Several of you I know have not been comfortable inside and you're here today. It's so good to see you. We miss you. We're praying for you. To again to our guests today. We're so glad to have you. Please, please do what you can to be back tonight and be a part of the service and join together with Antioch North and West as we continue the celebration of our 50th anniversary in Jesus' name.